and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. We learn from Luke 14 that Jesus hasn't been invited to a feast or a banquet by a prominent Pharisee on the Sabbath. However, he wasn't invited to entertain the religious leaders and regale them with stories, nor was he necessarily invited to be their honored guest. He was invited, as Luke 14.1 tells us, so that they could watch him carefully. In other words, the Pharisee were looking for ways to trap him or to find some advantage against him. But Luke tells us in Luke 14, 7 through 11, that it was Jesus who was watching them carefully. Jesus notices that as the guests are arriving, they're scrambling for a distinguished seats of honors closer to the host. And this prompts Jesus to tell a parable where he delivers a countercultural message that addresses the honor and status structure of the time, exposing their hypocrisy while teaching those present about humility and the wisdom of seeking the lower positions instead of the exalted ones. Jesus' summary comment to this parable can be found in Luke 14, 11, and is a well-known saying, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, right from the start, the religious elite were put on notice that their worldviews and values contrasted greatly with Jesus' teaching. And also in a social setting where the host of such a banquet is usually in control, it also served notice that it was Jesus who was in control. In Luke 14, 12 to 14, we see this played out when Jesus directly addresses his host. Follow along with me, please. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This statement by one of the guests is the catalyst for the parable that I'm going to share with you today. There are three main scenes that are played out in this parable that will inform the rest of our time together. Number one, the invitation to many. You'll find that in Luke 14, 15 through 17. Number two, the excuses. You find that in Luke 14, 18 through 20. And number three, grace and mercy to the least. And you'll find that in verses 21 to 24. Look again at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. On the surface, this might seem like an innocuous or ordinary thing to say. However, this was a formula toast. It was often said at gatherings of God's people to remind them of the messianic banquet that they were to expect. It was something that the Jews, especially the religious elite, looked forward to. If you have your thumb in Isaiah 25, 6 through 9, take a look at that with me, and we'll see where they 
grab this hope from? On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from, from the, all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. In this passage, Isaiah makes it clear that the invitation to the Messianic banquet was for all people. But that's not how the religious leaders saw it. They mistakenly believed that the invitation was based on their worthiness rather than divine grace. And this probably accounts for the reasons why they were so legalistic in, in everything that they did. They believed that if they worked for it, they can work their way into heaven. They also looked at their heritage as God's chosen people as a guarantee that they would have a seat at the table. There was an expectation that they would enjoy the blessings of the coming kingdom, that they would have a place at the marriage supper of the Lamb, mentioned again in Revelations 19, verses 6 through 9. There's also an implied or subtle implication that those outside the religious elite, the marginalized outsiders that Jesus describes, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, would not have a place at the table which was likely the impetus for this parable. The expected response when the toast was offered, blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God, was, O Lord, may we be among the righteous and be counted worthy to sit with men of renown on that day. Now, if you can imagine this scene where this toast is giving and everyone is looking to Jesus, anticipating and waiting for the familiar response to the toast, but instead, Jesus, ever ready to teach about his kingdom and flip conventional thinking on his head, begins to tell another parable. We pick up Luke's narrative in Luke 14, verses 16 to 17, where we see point one, the invitation to many. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, in the first century, an invitation was sent in two stages. First, the host would send his servant to give out general invitation to his guests, similar to, a, to an RSVP. And then when the meal was ready, the servant would summon his guests to the feast. All the while, the host was making preparations for the number of people who accepted the invitation. There's two important things that I want to kind of point out to you here. One is that one's social standing was determined by who was invited. In other words, if you didn't receive an invitation, you weren't part of that inner circle. And secondly, not to come to a banquet where you had previously accepted the invitation was a grave breach of social etiquette and a major insult to the host. So gracious, in fact, that among some Arab tribes, it's considered a declaration of war. So I'm going to slow things down at, at this point in the story and ask you this question. Do you see yourself in the story so far? What can we learn from the story so far? We know that Jesus was addressing the Pharisee and the religious elite for not recognizing or accepting the invitation of the host, God the Father, through his son, Jesus Christ. But where are you in this part of the story? 
There's a clear warning here against presumption, isn't there? Against assuming that we're part of the inner circle and have a place at the great banquet feast based on our own, own terms and expectations or our own understanding and priorities. Like the Pharisee, we can get wrapped up in all the things of God and still find out on the resurrection of the just that we're on the outside looking in. Depart from me. I never knew you. To me, those are some of the most chilling words found in the Bible. Certainly at this point in the story, we're invited by Luke to look inward, just as the Pharisee had to do to ask, what have we done with our invitation? What does acceptance to the invitation look like in our lives? If you're not a believer and are here with us today, the good news is that the invitation is still open to you. Jesus' grace is free, but it isn't cheap. There is a cost. Jesus paid the price on a hill outside of Jerusalem, staining the cross with his blood to make good on this invitation. And yet he knew that from that cross, his broken and dead body would be removed, and that on the third day, he would rise to ascend to glory so that one day upon his return, he would prepare a marriage feast for us and complete the redemption that was started in us. Friends, Jesus spreads his arms wide and says, welcome. Come, for everything is now ready. It's all done. It's all prepared. The table is lavishly spread. Nothing is missing except you. To accept this invitation, all you have to do is declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior and repent of your sin, turn away from your sin. So again, if you are an unbeliever sitting with us tonight, I say come to the table, for everything is now ready for you. Receive eternal life, trusting in him who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you are a believer, and it seems like everyone in this room I think I recognize to be so, we're all waiting for the messianic banquet that's yet to come. But for us, the invitation stands at the beginning of each day. When we wake up each day, the Lord stands before us and he says, Come, for everything is ready for you. Come meet with me this morning. Come meet with me this afternoon, throughout the entire day. For I have prepared a day for you where you're going to come to know me in a deeper and more profound way. Come, Christian. Everything is ready. The cost is set before us. Don't allow anything to justify prioritizing your relationship with Christ above all things. Not your job, not your friends and family, not material comfort. Nothing should get between you and your relationship with God. It doesn't take long in a story to see what the invited guests did with their invitation. Look again, Luke 14, verses 18 to 20, where we see point two, the excuses. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have brought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, all of these excuses are weak, they're laughable, they're pathetic, and they're representative of all the rest of the excuses that the invited guests gave. No one buys a field without seeing it first. 
No one buys oxen without knowing the condition of the animals and how they work together in a tandem to plow a field. And no one agrees to attend a banquet knowing that they're getting married. What these excuses reveal was what was in their heart, that they really didn't want to accept the invitation because they were too busy with worldly concerns. Two of the excuses I want you to notice have to do with material possessions, and one is relational. Do the excuses given here typify the types of excuses that you put forward in life? Are they representative of the type of things that you put forward and excuse yourself for having a relationship with God? Do you put aside God because your job won't allow you to seek him during this time of your life? Maybe you prioritize the things and the comforts of life so you chase the money and the things that it can buy over your relationship with God. Friends, we're to remind each other that no one can serve two masters, God and money. We're to remind each other that the rich man ended up not at the great banquet, but in hell with no hope for escape and with eternal fire and torment as his future. Maybe you value other relationships in your life over your relationship with God. We need to remind each other that only Jesus could ever offer forgiveness, peace, and eternal life. Only Jesus can offer us guidance, adoption as his heir, rest, victory over self, control of passion, joy, tranquility, immeasurable hope, and salvation. So friends, I'll ask again, what are your excuses? Jesus is speaking of heaven, of salvation, of eternal matters, of the greatest possible significance. And yet too many times we say, sorry, I don't have the time. Friends, Jesus is telling us that everything is now ready. The cost is set before us. Our seat at the table has been purchased with his blood. How does the master, God the Father, feel about the excuses that he receives? Look again at verses 21 to 23, where we'll visit the final point. God's grace and mercy to the least. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The master's response to the rejection of his invitation was righteous anger. But then it was to widen the invitation circle to fill his house. Because of his grace and mercy, those who were below the waterline of acceptance, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, received invitations. The very people Jesus told the Pharisees that they should invite to their banquets at the beginning of the parable. The very people that Jesus met with throughout his ministry. The street people, the beggars, the outcasts, the untouchables, the tax collectors. The preparations were already made. The celebration was going to go on and the master was going to make sure that every seat was filled. So the invitation was extended to the people on the edges of Jewish society. 
These are the people that the Pharisee would never associate with, the people that they scorned Jesus for associating with, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. They had even confronted Jesus' disciples earlier in Luke's gospel saying, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? What the master commanded, the servant had already done, and still there was room. So he commanded his servant to go to the highways and hedges to compel people to come. These are the people that were outside of the circle of acceptance, people that didn't have houses inside of the city because they weren't allowed to live in the city. These are the people that live in brothels, roadhouses, caves, in and around the trees and bushes of the highways and byways outside of the city. These are the people who metaphorically might be identified in the story as the Gentiles or the peoples of the nations who are now receiving their invitation. They know that they don't belong. They know that they cannot repay the host for his grace and mercy. They know that they are broken sinners and are unworthy. But because they recognize their spiritual brokenness and must rely on God's grace and mercy, they are most likely the ones who will accept the invitation without hesitation and be exalted. God's grace and mercy is extended to all of us, to be clear. This has always been God's plan. But the invitation was, was extended first to the Jews and then the Gentile as a matter of priority. The people who had, who had originally been offered the, their share of the kingdom rejected it. This becomes clear in verse 24 when the speaker is not the host, but Jesus speaking, speaking not to the servant, but to you, the audience. We move from third person to second person and first person language. It's no longer a he and a them, but a you and an I. We're no longer talking about a man and his dinner. We're talking about Jesus and the messianic dinner. We're talking about heaven and eternity. We're talking about the great banquet provided for the resurrection of the righteous. We're talking about the heavenly celebration, salvation, eternal kingdom, resurrec re resurrection, and life. We clearly see that Jesus is telling us that most likely, that the most likely to attend the great banquet will be the humble and the least among us. But in verse 24, Jesus also lets everyone know who will be excluded. Verse 24, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And with that statement, Jesus brings his parable to a close. The exclamation point to a longer teaching on humility and hypocrisy and what it takes to enter, enter the kingdom of heaven. The Jewish elite were not interested in the message of Jesus Christ. When the true gospel of salvation came to them, they wanted to stone him and throw him over a cliff. They had no interest in the banquet if Jesus was standing at the door. In order to receive the grace and mercy of God, you need to humble yourself and see yourself for who you really are, a sinner by birth and by choice. Friends, when we accept the invitation, we come to the table. We are accepting that we are fallen creatures and are in need of a savior. When we accept the invitation, we're acknowledging God's grace and his mercy. When we accept the invitation, we go through the door where Jesus is standing. And this door is still open. But scripture warns us that it won't always be the case. So I say again, friends, come to the table. Come, for everything is now ready. Let's pray. 
Holy Father in heaven, we, we ask that you would extend your invitation with grace and power through the Holy Spirit to every heart that is here. We ask for your strength to put off the excuses that keep us from the delight and holiness of your presence. I pray that your spirit would embolden us to spread your gospel truths to others. I pray that many would accept your invitation and that one day we would dine together at your heavenly table, a table that you prepared for many. Amen.